containing our duty towards God, and the other six are duty towards man. So, the Ten Commandments is that same law that was written up on the heart of Moses. The Ten Commandments is, um, this is to say the Ten Commandments pre-existed Mount Sinai. Before God met with Moses at Mount Sinai and gave to him the Ten Words, this was already a law. This is the moral law of God, and it does not come from the carving of stone, but it comes out of the character, the righteousness, and the holiness of God. Right. This moral law, the Ten Commandments, are forever binding because they were not, they, although they were part of the Mosaic Covenant, they do not have their genesis in the Mosaic covenant. They have their genesis in creation in the first covenant that God made with man. And they have their root in his character. And he's given to them, given them to us. And the first four contain our duty towards God. What is the first four? Let's just start naming What? That's not the God before me. That's not making a grave image. That's not profane the name of the Lord your God. And thou shalt remember the Sabbath day. Okay, those first four are our duty towards God. The thing that God expects of his people commands of, well, everybody to worship him. And so those are, uh, those are what we're going to start with tonight. We're going to start with. Uh, the first commandment, but before we do that, I just want to get this notion out of the way about any part of the law passing away. And I think paragraph three in the confession deals well with this. It says, besides this law or the moral law, commonly, well, commonly called the moral, it says, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, suffering, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions and moral duties, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of Reformation, or the prior to Christ's coming, are by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, and only lawgiver, who was furnished with power from the Father, for that he was abrogated and taken away. So, we know that the moral law is not included in that which was abrogated, because the, besides this law, that's called moral God gave them other commandments. These are ceremonial, and they have been abrogated by Christ and taken away. He was the only one that had power to do away with it. Done away. Abrogated and taken away. It's basically saying the same thing. Abrogated. They've been done away. They're no longer binding because they have already been fulfilled. Right? Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So, with uh, that understanding, we know that. But that the moral law remains. And we know from our catechism a couple of weeks ago, it says, Where is the moral law summarily comprehended? And the answer to that question, which I believe is 47, question 47, is it? Uh, all of All of no, question 46 in the Baptist Catechism. Uh, yeah. Where is the moral law summarily comprehended or contained? From where do we understand the moral law of God? And the answer is in the Ten Commandments. So, with that, I want to turn our attention to our topic of discussion tonight, 
and that is the first commandment. The first commandments are found in, or ten commandments, sorry, are found in Exodus chapter 20. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. No, we can't. Because actually, this 
the way this is worded, it goes much deeper than just no other God before me and reign. Like no other God does. It's not no other God is ahead of me. It is literally no other God in my sight. There are no other gods before me. No other gods in my sight. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 43.
It's almost like it's in a very important truth. Do you understand? There is no other God but one. This is an important truth. And this is the very first and fundamental commandment of the Christian religion. It was the first and fundamental commandment of Judaism. As a matter of fact, there is a prayer that is prayed every morning and every evening by all Jewish people, by all who confess faith in Yahweh. And it is located in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4. If you would turn with me over there, This prayer to the six. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter six. Sorry, verse four. Here the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy. Now I think you got to start in verse four already. Yeah. Okay. Yes, I can say. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou layest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as a frontlet between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house, and on thy gates. Notice how God commands them to teach it to their children and talk of them. When are they supposed to speak of these words? All the yeah. When thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, so wherever you go, when you lie down, when you wake up, and this is the way the Jewish people pray and still do pray this prayer. And we're going to get to uh, talking about some nuances about the Jewish religion here uh, after a little while. Um, our discrepancy as Christians with some of that, but it's a fundamental truth. And that this was to constantly, constantly be on the mind, the heart, and the lips of God's people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord our God is one Lord. It's the fundamental prayer of Judaism, Shema Yisraela, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Kaphleinitah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And we see this not only in the Old Testament, but we see it even in the New Testament. First Corinthians chapter 8. First Corinthians chapter 8. Paul recasts the Shema in light of the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Deuteronomy, or in First Corinthians chapter six, which is eight, eight, sorry, eight verses. Well, 
Now, touching things offered unto idols, we know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge toughens up, but charity edifies. And if any man thinks that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man loves God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things which are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For there, those will be those that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many mortally, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things that we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Now, in English, that doesn't sound a whole lot like Deuteronomy 6, 4. But we know that the early church, they had their Bible, their scripture that they used was called the uh, Greek Septuagint. They had the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And that was the Bible that the apostles taught from. It was the version of the scripture that Christ himself taught from. It was the Bible of the early church. And if you were to read the Septuagint rendering of Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 side by side with the Greek read re of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 at this very at this very point they would sound almost identical. So there was no mistaking for any first century Jewish Christian who heard Paul saying this that emphatically he was including in the statement of the Shema, the fundamental statement of the people of God from old, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and its centrality to the faith. As touching this first commandment, I want to read a couple of other catechism questions from the Westminster, uh, the Presbyterian Catechism. The Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 104 and 105, deal with the substance of this first commandment. That shall have no other gods before me. Uh, it's the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. How we should, what is required of us in the first commandment? That's why I think that it's good um, to review these old catechisms. The Westminster Larger Catechism is a great resource. Uh, Starting at question um, 99 in here, it begins talking about, or no, starting at question 91, it starts talking about the Ten Commandments. And only at, que at question um, 103 do we actually get to the First Commandment. So it has a lot of material about the law of God in the Westminster Larger Catechism. And it's really good stuff. It really helps to explain what is meant and what is actually commanded in this first commandment. So I want to read from this and unpack uh, a little bit of it and talk about it. So question 104 asks, what are the duties that are required in the first commandment? What does the knowledge of having this first commandment Teach us, what does it require that we do? The answer to the catechism says, the duties required in the first commandment are 
the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify Him accordingly. So first off, our duty, the duty that is commanded of us in the first commandment, is to know and acknowledge God as the only true God, not as one of many, right. as he's talking about, as we talked about here. We know that an idol is nothing in the world, but unto us, or um, to those that are being so called gods, many, and so called lords, many, but to us, to the Christian, to the believer in God, there is only one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by God. So we must, as Christians, we must acknowledge that any other God but the Christian God, but Yahweh and his Savior, Jesus Christ, his Son, Jesus Christ, this constitutes the worship of the only true God. This means that Christianity is an exclusivist religion. By that I mean it is not as some suppose today that all religions, all roads lead to the same heaven. We do not worship the same God as the Muslims. We do not worship the same God as the Buddhists. Uh, there was a question I heard last the other day that, you know, the Turkey Indians, the other Indians, they talked about the Great Spirit. The Great Spirit is not the God Yahweh. We do not serve the same God. Christianity is exclusive. Monotheism is exclusive. But Christianity more so. We must acknowledge God to be the only true God. Not only as that, but as our God to whom we owe obedience, to whom we ascribe lordship and sovereignty only. Continuing, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. By and it gives us ways that we're supposed to do. By thinking, meditating, remembering, highly esteeming, honoring, adoring, choosing, loving, desiring, and fearing of him, believing him. Remember we talked about that before and the difference in believing in or understanding or assenting to certain facts and actually trusting him. The kind of belief that the first commandment calls us to is the same kind of faith that Abraham had. When he believed God, it was counted in for righteousness in Genesis 15. Believing, trusting, hoping, delighting, rejoicing in him, being zealous for him, putting our delight in the Lord. How many songs are there that talk about our delight being in the Lord? There's more than one. I didn't uh, find the time to count all the cup and have all that statistical information for you guys tonight. But we are told several times throughout the Psalms and Proverbs and the entirety of Scripture to delight in the Lord and to meditate on His Word. Rejoicing in Him, being zealous for Him, calling upon Him in prayer, giving all praise and thanks and yielding all obedience and submission to Him with the whole these are all things that the first commandment requires us to do. And very often we have a very shallow view of what it means to have no other God before us. But our early uh, Presbyterian brethren who wrote this confession understood 
that in acknowledging God as the only God and as our God, we were called upon to do all of these things. Being careful in all things to please Him and sorrowful in anything He has offended and walking humbly with Him. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, The Lord has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to love justice, to do mercy, or to love mercy, to do justice, and to walk humbly with thy God? Uh, Micah 6 8. These are all things that are required from Christians in the first commandment. To be sorrowful when it's anything he has offended. We have become increasingly as a culture so worried about offending everybody and anybody. As long as that somebody doesn't include God. We are generally as a population, not concerned with how God feels about what we do. We live in a culture that aborts thousands of babies per day. We live in a culture that is confused about marriage and about gender and about sexuality and a host of other issues that God's Word speaks to. And yet, the first and fundamental commandment of our so-called religion requires all of this others, obedience and submission to him with the whole world, not just a mere assent to what he wants, but to submit to him with the whole world and be careful to please him in all things and sorrowful when it's anything he is offended. If this culture has lost anything, it's the fear of God. And the first commandment requires us to fear and to obey and to love and to delight and to submit and to be zealous for the Lord. The church needs to repent. No man excluded for our lackadaisical attitude towards the law of God. And this is why the church has lost its, um, I guess you could say lost its way in following the Lord, because the church has lost its fear of God. Because, and I think precisely because, we don't want anything to do with the Ten Commandments. I know that you've heard me and Kevin talk about it. Uh, there was a lady throughout uh, we came up to church on Kevin and were here the other day, and she was offended that we had a uh, that, that we have a kind of a monument up there down out front of stone that has the Ten Commandments written on there. And she said, "Well, you ought to take those down because you're just putting a veil over people's faces. You need to take those down." The Lord told her. The same Lord that told Moses to write these down. The same Lord that repeated these uh, commandments in the, in the New Testament. The same Lord that requires all these things from us. Supposedly told this woman this, that he wanted these Ten Commandments taken down. Now, if that doesn't sound like the Bible, we know that that wasn't God. But that's the attitude that so-called Christians have towards the law today, and that's why we've lost the fear of God. Because we don't think that these things that are actually commanded of us are commanded us. And again, I'm not up here claiming to be a, uh, a perfect example of how to follow all these. I know that I fall short. I need grace. We all do. But just because of grace doesn't mean we can ignore these requirements. Grace never gave us the license nor the ability 
nor the option to do. Great doesn't do away with obedience, as I talked about today, this morning, but grace serves as a solid foundation for our obedience to these commandments. These duties were required of those under the old covenant, and they were they are required of us. And we should be careful, it says, in all things to please him and sorrowful when it's anything he is offended. That is what the first commandment commands us. And so you might ask, well, if this is what commands, what does it forbid? For every rule, there is a set of things that are positive commands, you know, do this, and there are the negatives, don't do this. We'll question, because remember, Pastor Kevin kind of put his finger on this a little bit last week when he said, it's not just about ceasing to do the unrighteous thing, which we can't kind of maybe put the cart before the horse here because this has been flipped. You know, the duties required of us tell us to do the righteous thing. What's forbidden tells us what are the unrighteous things that we should not do. What is forbidden by this first commandment? And I can tell you the first time that I read this, I was just blown away. It's probably one of the best statements I've Ever heard made when I first read this? I was just like, "Oh, this, you know, this, this it was awesome." But it really starts to make you make you think when you start hearing the list of what is forbidden by the first commandment. It really shines light on just how much we need the grace of God and just how much this culture has lost the fear of God. This is what it says: within the Lord Catechism one hundred five, what are the sins that are forbidden in the first commandment? And I've got to warn you, it's a rather long list. So it's not like nobody has ever spoken to these things. It says, the sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism. Atheism is a sin that the first commandment forbids. So when people say that they don't have to obey God because they don't believe there is a God, that does not free them from obedience at all. Atheism is a sin forbidden by the first command. And I realize it does not politically do. But that is what the Lord says. And I would much rather please God than men, because I should, as a Christian, much fear God before men. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear him. Who is able to kill both the soul and the body of hell? In the time, we're not having a God. Idolatry and having or worshiping more gods than one. So this puts to rest the idea that all, because there are those out there that would say that all the first commandment requires was that we put Yahweh first, and then all these other gods can't come after. People will try to use this to support polytheism or pantheism or all these other ideas. But one of the sins forbidden by the first commandment is having any more God than one or worshiping any more God than one. And we must know that in order to worship another god, we need to bow down or pray to another god. Idolatry comes in many forms. And our idols as fallen human beings are reason. We, our fallen hearts, make idols out of almost everything. You see unbelievers who love their stuff. People who profess to be atheists who say, well, I don't have a God, I don't serve anything. Well, then you look at how they spend their paycheck. You look at how they spend their time. 
you look at what takes up the majority of the focus of their time, and then you realize they do indeed worship them. The sad part is that that idolatry is not absent from a majority of American Christianity. We have people who will profess the name of God, people who claim to love God, and yet they would say, well, I can serve other things, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to put God first. God doesn't want to just be first. God wants to be all in all. And he must be all in all. The not having and avowing him for God, not recognizing him as God. The omission or neglect of anything to do with him. The neglect of anything to do with him. We need to realize that that includes public worship. That includes service to God, to the church, commitment to the local church. That is doing public worship is doing him. And when we are negligent to meet together, we are breaking the first commandment. Ignorance of him, forgetfulness of him, misapprehension of him, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him, bold and curious searching in his secrets. So, not only is worshiping another god forbidden, worshiping the true god, or trying to worship the true god in the right way. Or sorry, in the wrong way is forbidden by this first command. Just like uh, uh, when the son of Mary uh, offered strange fire, what did he say? He didn't say um, it, it wasn't that they offered unto God. Um, so, something that he had, that he commanded them not to, but he he they had offered to the Lord something that he had not commanded. So they they their heart was seeking to please God, but they were seeking, they were going about it in the wrong way. That's the problem in a lot of our modern worship is we are less concerned about what pleases God and more concerned about what pleases our ears and our sensibilities. And we need to remember, now I'm not saying that there's not like a hard fast rule on every little thing that we should be doing, but if the Lord has commanded you to do something in worship, why on earth would you do it? Why, why um, why tread that line when we've been told? It says that uh, the scripture reference from Micah 6 8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. The Lord has showed you what is good and what he requires of you. So, false worship of the true God is still to worship a false God. To have a false idea of who God is and to worship Him not according to how He is revealing Himself. You realize that this is the full revelation of God. Everything that we need to know to worship God is set forth in the Scriptures. Secrets. That could be, uh, you know, people that try to go beyond what Scripture says to make it to make God's revelation fit into their predetermined philosophy. And there's a lot of that that goes on today. Well, I think also when you 
throws in there the idea of, of even going beyond uh, the, because it, it uses the specific words. Let me pull mine back up. I'm sorry. I'm just getting shut up. But uh, it uses a specific word here that we can talk about real quick. Uh, I get there. Right here. Uh, uh, it's one of five. No, 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 in the paragraph. Oh, it's not on mine. Okay. Yeah, it's not on mine. says um, required in this commandment ignorance, forgetfulness, misapprehensions, false opinions, unworthy and wicked thoughts of him, bold and curious searching into his secrets. Often 
what the Word of God says about certain things and play nice because they just understand things differently. But if we really love them, we are going to tell them, your false belief is forbidden by the first commandment. You cannot truly love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and believe this wrong, aberrant thing about him over here. You can't. You can't do that. You can't hold those two ideas. Um, yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't uh, hold them in tandem with the word that I was looking for. You can't make them work together. They don't. So we need to be mindful. And uh, I'll end here, and we'll pick this up another time. Um, but we need to be mindful about. What is commanded of us in the Ten Commandments as we continue to go through them and what they forbid? Because this last year, before I read this, before I started studying the way I was studying, I read the First Commandment like many people do and wasn't even thinking about all the things that we let pass these days that God actually not just not things that He not just things that He hasn't commanded, but things that He forbids. And we pass them off as if they're nothing. Unbelief, heresy, misbelief, distrust, despair. All of these things are forbidden sins under the first commandment. We are commanded. Just to retitle this to esteem God, to acknowledge Him as the one and only true God, to rejoice in Him, to meditate upon Him, to fear Him, desire Him, and believe Him, trusting, hoping, delighting, and rejoicing, and being zealous for Him. These laws are not given. As a yoke placed up on the neck of his disciples to lay us down. They are given to, so that we may happily continue in a way that pleases our God. And as born again people, that should bring our heart to life. When we read his commandments and we hear that all he, because this is what it boils down to. I know it sounds like a lot, but this. Is what he requires to love him and to obey him. According to his word. It's not as though he left us trying to guess how to believe him. And so many people's misbeliefs and misapprehensions of him come from the fact that they live like we have been left without all of this revelation. They try to come up with a new things, a new way, because I can't understand it, because they're trying to go beyond what is written. When all he requires you to do is to know what he requires, to believe it, and to do it. And it's a lot more simple than trying to go about it your own way. So, I know that when we talk about the law, it can seem kind of heavy. But do remember that as we talk about the law of God, that we are looking at this vantage report and that from the vantage point of those who have been redeemed. We have been redeemed. The preface of the Ten Commandments tells us that He is the Lord our God and has brought us out of the house of bondage. Christ has set us free, and we are free indeed. And now we can run the race with assurance, and we can obey him with a glad heart. This, this should not be heavy to the redeemed heart, but it should bring you great joy. He has given us everything we need to serve him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for the sure word. We thank you for your word confirmed over and over again. 
Lord, we thank you that you have given it to us. That we might hold it under our hands. That we might study it. That we might commit it to memory. That we might know what it is required from us. And do it. That we might know what it is, Lord, that you forbid us from doing and abstain from it. Lord, not only to stand to things that displease you, but to positively do those things that please you. Father, we are thankful for your word. And I, Father, want to um, just commit in myself here to teach according to this word and, Father, to live and to model life after your word before others. Father, I just ask that you would help there to be understanding. And, Father, I pray that you would keep each of these safe as we depart from this place, that we can come back together again and worship you in the beauty of holiness. We love you and praise you. Amen.